Hi, my name is Mark Kelly. I'm one of the leaders here at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. We hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. For more information about us, please visit citychurchleeds.net or find us on all the usual social media websites. Take care and enjoy what's coming up. Terrific. Another nice morning after uh, what we're told is the sunniest and wettest climate year in 200 years, I believe it said on the press this week. So here it is. It reminds me of the, um, you know, talking about Africa. Can you imagine this scene? Two hippos sitting in a mud hole in the middle of a vast, empty plain. Not another creature in sight. Every morning the sun comes up, goes over the top and sets. Sun comes up, goes over and sets. And one hippo one day turns to the other and says, do you know, I can't help thinking it's Thursday. Jean Nam told me that joke wouldn't work. <laughs> what, what, what I'm, what, that was there because... It's a recognition that in our lives there are seasons and changes, yeah? And um, in this particular one, <laughs> in this particular case, um, we've, uh, excuse me a moment, and uh, <laughs> so there are changes in and seasons in our lives, and God calls us to different things and different, just do different things at different times. Um, so I'm going to pick up for a little bit from where Kathy left off. I was privileged to be able to hear that super presentation on the website of Kathy's talk. I was here for it, but I thought it was worth listening to again because it was one of the best I've heard here for a long, long time. Well done, Kathy. I'm a fan, and I want to sign up for your club. Okay, so Kathy started off, and she asked us a number of things during her talk. Number one, she asked us was, and let's hope the technology works, the man said, what do you have faith for in your life? This is a little bit like asking how long's a piece of string, in, in a sense. Because you start thinking, well, what am I, what am I thinking about? No, she asked, what would, did you specifically have faith for in your life? Was there something now that was specific? Am I right, Kathy? Is she here? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go on. Thank you. Yeah. This is my, this is my counsellor, my comfort, my guide, my co-priest. Bless her. All right. And she asked us also to identify mountains in our lives. Now, this is interesting because when you come to identify mountains, people have different takes on that verse. They think that some people always remember that parable as being, take this horrible obstruction to life and throw it into the sea. It's getting in my way. Uh -uh. I don't think so. Because, um, come on, technology work. Right. Don't think, please, of mountains 
as being necessarily obstacles. Sometimes they're an, they're an opportunity to go mountaineering. Yes, John? Skiing's pretty miserable on a plane, isn't it? All right, to climb higher and build. Sometimes there are things that get in the way. And out in Africa, we get a lot of termite mounds, which can be a flipping nuisance when you're trying to plant out nice straight rows of corn or something. And in fact, this particular picture is of an anthill where um, they, they're actually digging for sand. I just want to interject there and say that when, when I heard that word about mountains from from Kathy, I was reminded about when we first were asked to take part in Global Family Network, when my dear friend Felix was talking about what might it might become. And if you think about, I felt that his vision was Oxfam-sized, right? <laughs> he had so many things in his wish list of what he wanted to do for God that for me, that sounded like a mountain. It was huge, it was enormous. Now, I will talk a little bit later about what that meant for us in terms of was it something we could share or not. But the important thing was that the other morning as we were listening to this, I chuckled and said, actually, God has said to us right at the outset, pangono, pangono, which in a local language in Zambia means slowly, slowly, step by step, I will show you the way. And we have then encountered a whole series of these termite mounds, right? Kind of in, in, in our terms, it might be molehills or anthills or whatever, but termite mounds are, have, if you like, have been the series of small obstacles which we've had to face and say, either this is something to overcome or it's something to take as an opportunity. Take as an opportunity. Hmm. Do you know what those guys are doing? Can you tell from that distance? No, you can't really, can you? It's not a very big picture where you are. But that is half a dozen guys pushing a 5,000 litre water tank up a termite mound. Why? Well, because for our work out there, we need water under pressure out of a hose. And you don't get water mains out in, the, out in the bush there. You've got to create the water pressure and you can't always have a pump running. So they have taken that, their tank up the hill, pushed it up, and that was no mean feat, pushed it up to the top of that hill so that we can fill it with water when there is energy, We'll fill it with water, and then we've got a pressurized water supply uh, secure. All right. Neat idea. If, you, if you've got a mountain in front of you, have a good look. It might not be something you should be removing, but you should be climbing up and using to your advantage. Okay. The other thing you do with a mountain, of course, is break it down. Yes. And there on the left, we've got some guys attacking an anthill, a termite mound, that was on the site where we wanted to build a center and it was getting in the way. So what did we do? We broke it down, we mixed the, the earth with water, and we made bricks. And the bricks were used to build the center. 
so we didn't have to buy bricks. Sometimes God provides mountains for a provision when you're not expecting. So next time you come across a mountain in your life, say, hey, Lord, is this an obstacle or a provision? Okay. Thank you, Kathy. I'm still with you on what you were preaching. The other thing that she talked about in that same context was about seeds. And I think it's very... Um, we need to notice that several of those, those termite mounds have got large trees growing at the top of them. Like, that's how long it has taken. And that, to remember as well that the, the, the thing was actually made by tiny ants carrying one grain of sand at a time. So some of those mountains, somebody's been working on for a, a very long time. And yet, they can be either overcome or used in, in the road that, that God's showing us. That's right. And uh, sometimes our work isn't done in a day. Yeah? Jean Ann will mention a bit more about that later on. By the way, it is prearranged that she will grab the mic. <laughs> All right. All right. So, Kathy did go on to talk about our planting seeds. Little things that we might do that maybe don't seem terribly insignificant to start with, but over time, those little seeds will grow to become little trees. The trees will produce pods of seeds. Some of those will fall to the ground. Some of the seeds, the beans that they produce, will be harvested and a terrific source of protein. The leaves are a terrific source of medicine and all kinds of things, and they improve the quality of the ground. And so you don't end up with ground that was the same as you came to it. Why? Because one day somebody had vision and planted some seeds. Right? Noah built the ark one plank at a time. There's a thought. Okay. So seeds are small, but with God's growth promoter, God's fertilizer, okay, they can grow to an enormous size. Thank you, Kathy. That was a good point that you brought there in, in, in your talk. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on a little bit to one side now because she did ask us individually to relate what she was saying to our personal lives. So would you excuse me for a moment if I put some background onto my walk with God or stumble. I, I was privileged to be brought up in a Christian home Christian parents who came out of non-Christian families from hard working class mining communities but they found the Lord in their teens they both went actually to Salvation Army training college and that revolutionized their lives and they changed so that they they went on to raise a family who now we all love the Lord and we've raised up children likewise who love the Lord and are raising up their children to love the Lord. There is a seed that was planted in my parents' heart by an evangelist when they were young teenagers, and that seed has grown and developed. And I just feel it's wonderful that I was a part of the planting and the growing and the harvesting. Same here. All those who say, same here, say, Amen. 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 We were the lucky ones. But in some ways, what we were brought up in led to some problems that made us stumble. For instance, we were taught to be, it was a very Bible-based church that we were in at the time. And I have to say, I value the Sunday school 
that I went to. It taught me all about the Bible and the history and things, but it did turn the Bible into a rule book, I have to say. And I grew up and went through my teens with, with an attitude that if the Bible doesn't say it's wrong, you can do it. Have you been there? Yeah? Somewhere in the Bible it talks about God giving every green plant and herb for us to enjoy. And I have seen that verse quoted by a Rastafarian who was puffing weed. (laughs) He made a slight mistake, really, because the Bible was never built to be that kind of rule book. It was to be used as a compass to help us to set a direction towards a destination that God had whispered to us. And we had heard. That's the key. Yeah? And we had heard. Jean Ann, read that for us, would you please? Because my glasses won't let me. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. I found my late teens, early 20s, a pretty hard time because I kept running my face into a brick wall. I chose to do the running and I I chose the running track. And because the Bible seemed to give me freedom, I did, went my own way. Just what it's talking here about sinful nature doing what it desires. And the struggle there about good intentions and the reality coming through. I underwent a, a... a new kind of reconversion experience while I was at university, where having run into the wall so many times, I said, God, I can't carry on like this. Please. I just, it's all gone. Not me, but you. And a little voice somewhere said, "Ah, at last. And something that, something occurred then whereby I began to listen more to the Holy Spirit prompting me in my heart as to what my future should be. Should I, because I was learning how to fly aircraft at the time with the RAF, should I, should I look for a full-time commission here uh, or, or, should I, or should I walk a different way? And I wasn't too happy about the friendships that I'd got at the mess where we used to go and make a mess of our lives at the weekends and things, at cheaper drink and such like and whatever. And God just showed me a verse at the time, evil companions corrupt. And it involved me in deciding, yes, I had to make a decision from a revelation that God gave to me that if I wanted to, go, to be where I wanted to be, I had to do an about turn. I had to go and find my friends in different places, sell up the mobile disco I was running that made me a nice little penny on the side, and, but took me into all kinds of other temptation that 
you know, wasn't healthy and um, live a different kind of life. And be, I began to find my friends in the church that I was attending. And I realized those were much better quality of friendships than I had back at the officer's mess. Much better. So, yeah. We don't live by a rule book, or we shouldn't. We needn't. That's the beauty of it, because living by a rule book is hard work. Apart from anything else, you get it wrong so often and run into a wall, and you know, you know, your face gets distorted. So we're not living by a rule book. We're living by something else called grace. Grace has been defined, justice has been defined as getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Okay, so not living by a rule book, but by grace. I love this. And I found a whole different thing happened in my life. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's lovely. That's beautiful. No longer driven by a whip or the fear that I wouldn't get my pocket money on Saturday. No longer that. No fear of punishment, but just a little voice that says, why don't you? Of course, it's your choice. I love that. Do you notice Jesus never got behind people and made them follow him? He didn't. He just said, I'm a good shepherd. And the good shepherd walks in front of the sheep and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. <laughs> Jesus didn't drive anybody. He just invited us to follow. And that's how it is in our Christian life. I've found God does not drive me to obey him. That, was, that sort of stuff was, came out of Old Testament teaching I had as a kid with the Bible as a rule book. The bigger the Bible, the better it was to hit you with. But no, you, you know, this, this new way of living and realizing that God doesn't write his laws on, with pen and ink anymore, or in those days it says like tablets of stone, but he writes it on our hearts. He changes our desires, yeah? So that he gives us the desire to be his kids, to be his children, to be like daddy. I want to be like my daddy. And I watched little Chris this morning up at the front with his daddy and his hand on the collecting basket. He doesn't fully understand what's going on just yet. But oh boy, do I admire his mummy and daddy. They are teaching little Chris the ways of the Lord and that it's fun. the power to do what pleases him, that's the other part about this calling, right? The mountains, getting rid of the mountains and things. God will not ask you to move a mountain that he doesn't give you the power to move. And he won't ask you to move a mountain that you don't want to move. Oh, hey, pardon? But, 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 no, I had plenty of teaching like that when I was a kid, and I discovered that it, it led to some hard work and some broken lives. That isn't the way God works. God works as a friend coming alongside us. And faith is just 
wonderful in that respect. Jean Nunn, are you supposed to come in by this time? I thought so. I just enjoyed hearing you talk about your daddy God. And the interesting thing about having that relationship, that intimate relationship with God, is that the idea of the, the things he asks you to do and the things that are right or wrong or whatever, it's not that, it's not the rule book, it's that you know him so well. Like, I know about most things now. When, if something comes up, I kind of know what Mel would think, say, do about them. If you've got a really good friend, it doesn't have to be your, your husband. I think I know Magsy's ideas about most things. I kind of know what she might say about something. And it's like that with Father God. If we are tuned in and we stay close, then when we ask him about something, we will know very promptly what it is he prompts us to do. Now, when, during the period of time when, we, we've had many changes all right, already in, in our, our married life together, um, and having come out of the work that I was doing previously in Zambia, there was an opportunity given to us at one point when uh, people knew that we were seeking God to know what to do next and so on. Um, and we were offered an opportunity to work in Lusaka, which is in, in Zambia again, and it was very much, it was in keeping with things that we both of us had done. We looked like people who were equipped to do it. It was to do with education, and we'd both been in education. But I want you to know that if you're seeking God for a specific thing that you have faith for, if there's something that you're saying, Lord, send me, or what shall I do next, or is this thing that I'm thinking about your idea, not my idea, just because there is a need, just because you recognize a need somewhere, and God certainly wants someone to do something about it, it might not be you. It might not be your calling. And so we prayed about this thing, and I've had other moments like that in life too, and you prayed about something, and my spirit didn't rise to it. Uh, and, and we... We considered it very faithfully and seriously, and we had to say, no, this isn't for us. It's not for us at this time. And we had to let that one go. But I also want to mention, when we went to America together um, to serve the church there, we noticed that there, the congregation expected us to have a, quote, ministry. A lot of the people, when we first met them, said, what is your ministry? As if somehow you had to be in a very particular slot, a very particular box, and this is what I do, and I kind of wear the hat to go with it. Sometimes introduced as being, oh, they're missionaries. Which we all are. So we actually would say to people, yes, we are missionaries. We're missionaries to you guys. <laughs> and they would look a bit shocked. They'd say, oh, oh, what do you mean? Now, I had done children's work, right? And it would be very easy. There was a children's worker lady who wanted to grab me and use me for the whole time we were there for children's work. And I did do some workshops for them, but I didn't just say, I am a children's worker. Because we knew that there are times in life when God is preparing you for new things. And he says... Whatever you've been before was valuable and good, and you're in a different season. Now I'm going to hone you. I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to do different things in your life. And so we, again, found ourselves being stretched and taken into things that we'd never done before. And I believe now, in retrospect, 
that all those experiences were part of the preparation for the particular specific project that we are in now. And so the idea that God may use your past experience, of course, because he does take us for who we are and then equip us. That's what that's about, isn't it? The desire and the power to do what pleases him. So I want to do what pleases him because I'm his child. Oh, okay, what's the shape of the next bit, please, Lord? Tell, tell me, show me. And then after that, I can trust because once I'm clear that the picture that God has given me is his idea, then I will have the trust, the confidence that he will give me what's needed to deliver. Yeah? So find out what the now word is for you in whatever specific area you talked about. What is God saying to you now about the next step or the next season? Which is kind of how we're following on from Kathy. Right? Giving you an example from people you know, chums you know, people you know how fallible we are, people who tell bad jokes. Well, one person does. And um, so, you know, you know us and you know we're safe. But this is our experience and it's real. Yeah? And I, I can tell it's real from a lot of you because I know you're saying, yeah, 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 all right. That's what faith is God powered doing. Join Club Dynamite. Dynamite, dynamis, Greek word for power. Yeah? So be little sticks of dynamite wherever you are. Or a big stick, if, you've got, if you have to be that way. Don't be a damp squib who's left it too long and you've been sitting in the wrong place and then <laughs> you don't go off right. No, okay. Kathy was talking about faith, and I think that many a time we forget that faith comes as part of, or as a conclusion of, a number of steps. Okay. This new revelation that we've got uh, from God, that he's our father, and that we can be members of his family, and we're expected to exhibit his genetic makeup Oh, it's just like his dad. That fish is a chip off the old block. Yeah. We provoke by our new nature to follow a new path. Okay, let's go through this and let's see how do we get there. Okay. Number one step in the path starts with vision. I don't mean you close your eyes and you go into some sort of transcendental state and suddenly, you know, ooh, you're seeing all kinds of things before your eyes. I don't mean that. I mean something in your heart stirs and you listen to it. Here's where the Holy Spirit's needed <laughs> because the Holy Spirit is able to separate out the marrow from the bones the Holy Spirit is able to separate out, what's, separate out what's wishful thinking from what is a vision of God for your life. You got that? Dead important. You see, it requires an action. First of all, we have to decide that we're going to look for a revelation, a vision for our lives. Now, I said earlier on that there are seasons in life. Yeah? Times and seasons. There was a time when I was called 
to do the job of musical director for a musical that was going all over the, the, the uh, West Yorkshire and so forth, training choirs and musicians. It was a thing called Come Together. I never realized what I was getting into at the time. Um, I felt ill-equipped to do it, but I had the desire to do it, and God said, do it, and I said, but I can't. I haven't got the skills. I haven't got the people. But God said, no, nah, no, nah, you're, you're, you're going to do it anyway, and I'll provide the rest. And I had a very real experience there for, for some months, a couple of years, of how God amazingly makes up for our inadequacies. And all he asks us to do is to be the ones who are prepared to pick this up, carry it, hold it, use it with the ability we've got, and maybe put it down and look for the next thing, and so on, for a season. From that on, yeah, from there, going back to my personal walk, I'm sorry to be talking about me a bit too much, but I went on, yes, and I, was, I did the musical direction in the church when the church was at its exploding phase, and we came to Leeds. But then better people than me came along. I was just a holder. I was just a holder for a while until someone much more able in the form of Dave Haddon came along and became the musical director instead. And I, he increased and I decreased and so forth. And then my role in life became raising a family and being a good husband. That seems so, oh, so ordinary, isn't it? What do you do? Oh, I'm just a housewife. What do you do? Well, nothing much, really. I go to work and I come home at the weekend and I bring the prayer packet. Have you got any kids? Yeah, i got three children, blah, 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 blah. Bringing up those children is a job only you can do. It's a faith job. Sometimes you see the children and you think, oh, I had one of those. I had one who was a little angel and one who was a little tear away. I'm not allowed to tell you who he was or use his name. But I used to think about the first one. Oh, I've really got faith in him. He's going to go on with God. He's going to do good things. But number two, oh dear me, I fear for his future. But Jeannie was tremendous at discipline and understanding it, wasn't she, Mags? She was terrific. And this little chap came to a point one day when suddenly there was an amazing change in his behavior. And since that time, I've asked him, Johnny, what happened? <laughs> I've asked him, Johnny, what was it that made you change? He said, one day I realized I couldn't win. <laughs> Thank you, Jeannie, you did that. And I was there, yeah, as a supporter and so forth. And now we've got three kids, and Jontin never ceases to amaze me with his love for the Lord, his service of the Lord. He gives up a day of the week, every day, every week, to, to do work for the church and this sort of thing. And I'm, I'm not bragging, I'm just giving, I'm saying, there is a time when your ministry is raising children, perhaps, and that's it, go for it. But you may also have other things that you carry on the side as well. <laughs> you know, when Jeannie died, I was in a new situation totally where I had no responsibility towards her anymore and I could decide 
all kinds of new opportunities arose, which physically just were so difficult to meet previously. And I married Jean Ann, and she had a, a calling and a ministry, which she might tell you about later. And I said to her before we got married, Jean Ann, I want you to marry me, but I will never get in the way of your calling, right? I will align myself to support you in your work. Now, God has a funny way of dealing. He really does, the way he times things. But that work of hers out in Africa very suddenly came to a stop. Anytime you want to take the microphone, you're free to do so. Hint. <laughs> You're going to get his whole life story if you're not careful. <laughs> He's right. Um, the important thing at that point was that I, my response to him was, hang on, if we get married, it's a whole new ballgame because if there's a ministry, it's going to be together. And we couldn't see at that point in our lives what that was going to look like. And so our history has been a number of different things. And we had a patch where we felt almost guilty that we were just busy enjoying life and enjoying each other. And, all, and I look back now, I think, yeah, you needed a patch of that. God said rest. And I, I would get, kind of, oh, I should be doing this, that, and the other. And various other people in the church would say, no, God has put you in a season of rest and refreshing. And that, that thing in the Bible about young men not being sent off to war and whatever, you know, which kind of doesn't quite fit with us. But you, you need a phase at the beginning of a marriage, don't you? So that was what was going on. Now, we never thought it would take so long before the, the sense, my, my Zambian-shaped hole, if you like, in my heart was still there. There was still that yearning. That was still that yearning to serve in that context. So we did the... the, the the, the business of sometimes we are at a point when God says, it's okay, I hear your desires, I will give you the vision, but sometimes the obedient thing to do is to do whatever he has shown you to put your hand to at this moment and believe that that is, in effect, part of the preparation for whatever else is to come in, in, in the future. And we did keep seeking, yes. Now, I want to read for you that the point at which Felix, my old friend from Zambia, approached us was in 2012. And his vision, like I said, was huge and a bit daunting. And so we said, we must go out there and actually get alongside you, see who else you're working with. I knew he was totally trustworthy, but we needed to have a look. We needed to have a sense of, yes, this is what God is telling us to do now. But in 2009, can you find, find that bit? In 2009, now that was three years previous to that. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's this bit here. Here we go. Thank you. I'll find it. That's all right. All right. I'd had a dream. Now, from time to time, God will give you what I call a real God dream. And, and that will become significant in the things that he reveals to you. Um, and in this dream, God said to me, you are a project person, and not every project will end tidily with a sense of completion. Sometimes the work is ongoing, and you are meant to dip in and out not look for an end product. You know, the world 
likes celebrity and it likes goals and you know we worship the athletes as, as much as we do some of the the singers or whatever and and that sense of goal well what do you do now yeah, there's not always an end product that's readily identifiable the purpose of my projects is not to give you significance oh sorry The purpose of my projects is not to give you significance, and I think that's for all of us. Don't look for celebrity. Or to make you the successful leader. I asked you to get alongside, encourage, share skills, enable others to find their purpose, ability, and potential, and give them a push start. You don't need to stay running beside the vehicle once they get the hang of it. <laughs> and, to me, here it says, remember Auntie Jean teaching you to ride a bike? She held the back. Yeah, she held the back. We didn't have stabilizers in those days, guys. So the, the whole point about that part is that Felix had a vision, and we needed to know, was it to be our vision too? It needed to be that we weren't hanging on his coattail but to know that God equips and provides and gives that desire. I used to teach the children that faith was fantastic adventures in trusting him. It's a nice little mnemonic, and I come back to it. Fantastic adventures in trusting him. And the thing about that trust, in, in researching this this time, that the, the trust or the confidence or the hoping in God, in the, some of the newer translations, are called things like eager expectation or confident hope. It's not a, oh, I hope he'll do this for me. Hope in God. Once God has given you a picture, and that's what happened, that very swiftly we saw provision from God when we went out to, to Zambia. Very quickly, Felix's vision became our shared vision. We captured it. We said, yes, this is of the Lord. There was such need. It wasn't just because there was need. There was also an excitement in praying with the other volunteers out there, okay? And so the previous season, which is why it's so interesting that God spoke that to me in, in 2009, and that season was a season of provision for the skills that we needed to hone for the next part of the... So in the long term, we intend to work ourselves out of the job. That's what, that's what that word to me was about, wasn't it? Don't think you're going to be the leadership. Okay, help them, you know, run alongside the bike. My aunt had hold of that, and then she told me that she'd actually not been holding it on the last two runs, and I wobbled and started to fall off. Okay, you've got to stay with people sometimes. Nurse made them for a while, and then you step back. So our faith for this whole thing is that it will become, perhaps, in 60, 100 years' time, when we're long gone, Oxfam-sized, but at the moment we are there to nurture and to get alongside with what is happening. Thanks. Vision enables us to set our compass, right? It wasn't until we'd been out to Africa to check out, this is okay that we can see there's a need, but is this for us? Is this our to become our vision, or is it purely Felix's and we say, well done, lad, get on with it. We, no, we um, we look for that. Um, we look for our own. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. 
have a situation here where things have been been put to one side because of the, uh, yeah, the trouble with these pads is if you touch them then you um, and actually see it's a vision right play This is technology I only picked up yesterday at the urging of this man here. So I thought, yeah, this, I could use this. There is an end in view, let's do it. So with the route to faith, yes, yes, it'll come forward and it'll come through. Okay. Provoked by now na new nature to follow a path. And it has to start in the right place. We have to have the revelation and we have to receive the revelation for ourselves. That's an act by the way don't drift through the christian life just coming along to church singing the nice songs going away and saying wasn't that nice pity mel was playing the keyboards again but there we are wasn't it nice all right so a vision enables us to set our compass on god-given hope yes further on the route to faith is that vision if we accept it and receive it and say oh i like that that's mine. I can see it. We then move on to turn that vision into hope and accept the promise for the fulfillment of the vision. That's what's called hope, right? So the vision becomes yours. The expectation of the fulfillment of it is your hope. A hope of something you haven't yet seen but is coming. Because you recognize where the vision came from. It wasn't wishful thinking. You submitted it to the Holy Spirit. Even you submitted it to eldership. Submit it to the pastor. Submit it to your, your buddy who walks beside you in the Lord. Who you share things with. And check it out. Right? It is important. It's part of avoiding the wishful thinking. The person you share it with has to be someone who hears the Holy Spirit as well. Not just a pal who you go down the pub with. All right. It has to be someone who shares that Holy Spirit guidance and they will have the confirmation. Yes. So you accept the, pro the promise for the fulfillment of that vision, which is hope. Okay? And we discriminate between wishful thinking and hope from God. Very, very important. Psalm 147.11, Jean-Anne says... The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. What's the hope based on? Love. Right? Your hope is built on, God, on the knowledge that God loves you. You're cute. I remember when, when Mags's little boy, John, was it John? Was it John? I'm digressing. When he was little, I remember his daddy holding him in his arms and saying, you're my special lovely boy. And him going, <laughs> in his daddy's arms. That picture stuck with me. Ah, bless him. That was love for the daddy, being soaked up by the child and empowering him to become what he eventually became. Actually, I think it was Andy. I think it was Big Socks, wasn't it? Andy. 
The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. They're the ones who become more daddy-like as they grow. Who wants to be like daddy? Oh, not a lot of people want to become like daddy. I want to become like daddy. I want to be conformed to the image that is Jesus Christ. The Lord delights in those who fear him and put their hope in his unfailing love. Three things will last forever. We know this verse in Corinthians, don't we? Yeah? Faith, hope, love. Vision isn't there, is it? Notice that. But the greatest is love. Because love is the engineer of hope. The feeder of hope which leads on to the acts of faith. More to come. Let's move on quickly. We now reach our destination. It started with what? It started with what? Vision. Yes. Vision received as being from God creates in us a hope. Yes. And hope is what takes us on to the next destination, faith. James was a, a dirty book in the Bible, in the Sunday school, the church I was brought up in. Not a dirty book. Oh, that's the one the Catholics believe. Pardon? Oh, why? Well, it's all about being saved by works. You're not saved by works. You're born again. Right? You repent. And you take Jesus into your life and you're born again. Mind you, they never mentioned baptism. Ah, oh, well, we all have our own little fancies and things, don't we? But um, James, I came to realize f more, most fully when we started this work in, in, on, with others in this work in Africa about works in the book of James and what James was actually saying. James was saying, get off your backsides. If you have got the faith that you say you've got, prove it. And it wasn't the works that saves us. The works are merely evidence of the faith which we have in God's power to accomplish God's work through God's hope and through God's vision shared with us. Right? Dead good, that series we had on James. It's good stuff. And don't only be hearers, but be doers of the word. You can always listen to Mark's sermon on that back on the playback if you want. All right? So James, I like this, in the message. Let Jean Ann read this out, because again, my specs are not very good for this. Don't you remember that our ancestor Abraham was shown to be right with God by his actions when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, his faith and his actions worked together. His actions made his faith complete. And so it happened, just as the scriptures say, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God. So you see, we are shown to be right with God by what we do, not by faith alone. One of the other 
one of the other translations uses the words meshed together. I like that. It's not that it's faith or that it's works. It's actually that the faith evidences itself through the works and the works are the result of the faith because in a a daddy relationship you want to do what pleases him and doing what pleases him produces the works otherwise you're like a train that was empowered by vision had the destination written on the front of it it was carrying the hopes of everybody on the train and it ran out of steam never really arrived at its destination which would be a tragedy wouldn't it okay next one please come along along thank you conclusion let's wind this up and let's summarize okay Jean Anna am I coming back to you here I've just found I've got it written here it's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend that's nice isn't it hold that one that mesh of believing and acting terrific all right stay with me okay What's our conclusion here? My conclusion is we are responsible for seeking, hearing, adopting, and acting on the now word of God. Right? There was a time when for me the now word was produce this musical, train the musicians, train the singers, um, make it happen, you know. And, um, and later time when it was bring up a family faithfully, help them to know what it is to love the Lord. Well done, Ben. Well done, little Chris. I'm watching your progress. We're responsible for hearing and adopting and acting on that now word of God, the Rema word, the word God breathes into us, whispers in our ears, this is the way, walk that way. Yes? Not pull your Bible out and sit at the edge of the seat saying, oh, I've got to decide, make a decision. Shall we have, shall we have cheese or, or chili on the baked potatoes tonight? You know, it, no. We walk because we have this the Holy Spirit inside us. Love makes us seek the vision from God. What does? Love, because we love God. We've realized he first loved us, and we want to identify with that. We accept the vision that produces hope in its fulfillment, and we choose to act on the hope. The faith is illustrated by the works that flow from it. Please note, decision is required at each stage. Okay. Oh, Ooh, a little comet flew by. God takes who we are and he equips us for what we should become. Yeah? Like we said earlier on, uh, there will be all kinds of experiences and skills that you've had in, in life that he will tend to use. He doesn't suddenly ask us to do something that we know nothing about. 
But if he does, he will still equip you. <laughs> and he will take you out of your comfort zone if you're listening for what he wants to stretch you to. I, this, carry on, yeah. I was once a studio manager for the BBC. I've been a youth worker. I've been a college lecturer. I've been mum. I've been all kinds of things. Carry on. This fellow here, he's, you, you wouldn't believe that. He did forestry for his first degree. I mean, what's that about? <laughs> and then he was a teacher. <laughs> then he was in uh, IT lecturing. But uh, next one bit, come on, move it on, move it on, because it gets exciting. We have, done, we have been out of our comfort zone a good few times out in Africa. We are now finding out all kinds of stuff. I keep reading the book, the manual, thinking, oh, my word. We are now into pig farming. Now, if you told me, you know, in 2012, that one part of what we were going to do was going to be pig farming, it is so exciting. Fantastic adventures in trusting him. Let me encourage you all. Ask God what it is he wants you to be doing. And if it is something very specific and project-like, okay. Now, some of the things you might think, yeah, but this doesn't apply to the thing. There are other things. If you want to come and talk to me personally about what it was to hang on for more than 20 years, having faith that God would one day give me a man that I would not be alone in my old age, that's a different area of faith. If you've got something that you think, oh, well, yeah, but it's not about good works, it's not that simple, I haven't got a picture and then I can go on to it. There are, there are those different areas. But in terms of how we serve him, out of our love for daddy and wanting to do things that pleases him, we hope that this has encouraged you that nobody is left out of this. Don't sit there thinking, well, it's all right for her to say that. I'm, I can't do anything. What can I do? We, we can all do something. Your area of serving and ministry might be having a cup of coffee with the lady next door every week because she's not a very likable person and nobody else talks to her. <laughs> yeah. Right? It might be in your work area. It might be something as specific as running a food bank. It might be something to do with children in, in East End Park. Whatever it might be, it might be project-like, but it might not look like that. I will happily pray with anybody who wants to know which fantastic adventure God is asking them to trust him for. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say, I'm sorry. We give second chances to anyone. We also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house that means we love.